I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we dive into episode 171, which originally aired on May 29th, 2013. In this episode, hey look, Bob, another new character. I wonder what you think of- oh, wait, he just got thrown out of the ring. Never mind. Welcome to episode two of The Next Wrestling Fan. Last episode, Bob got her first taste of NXT. We met some swamp monsters. Yeah, we did. We enjoyed some polyglot dick measuring contests. Oh, so many dicks. And we speculated about just how many bobby pins it takes to keep Corey Graves' pompadour in place. (laughs) There's possibly even more to cover this week. We have to talk about tag team wrestling and battle royals and Emma's dance moves. We will have the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling coming up later, followed by the wrestling term of the week. And of course, the cheap pop quiz. And this week, for the first time, we will also, sadly, be ringing the bell on some of our new friends here in NXT. Oh no! We will be seeing them for the last time. Okay. Speaking of the cheap pop quiz, here are the answers to the cheap pop quiz questions from last episode, which we're going to knock out at the beginning of the show, and then we'll hear more about what specifically they refer to as we move through Bob's breakdown. So Bob, question number one was, what is a battle royal? Is it A, a special kind of match involving an unusually large number of participants? B, a special kind of match that you win by throwing your opponent over the top rope to the outside? C, a special kind of match in which the announcers spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the wrestler's feet? Or D, all of the above? You chose A, a special kind of match involving an unusually large number of participants. Yep. Uh, which was true, but unfortunately, so were both of the other ones, and the answer was D, all of the above. Uh, so close. So close. Question two. What unlikely alliance of characters appears on next week's episode? Was it A, a photogenic male model and a South African game hunter? That was the answer you chose, Bob. Was it B, a guy who loves wearing headbands and a guy who loves wearing headphones? Was it C, a trashy rich Frenchman and a pair of good old boy rednecks? Or was it D, a Yeti, and a biker gang? And unfortunately, Bob, the answer was C, in this case, a trashy rich Frenchman and a pair of good old boy rednecks, as we will see. It was worth it just to get to see that particular pairing, so I don't regret this one. Fair enough. And finally, question three was which member, proud of this one, which member of the cast of the 1976 remake of A Star Is Born has a son who became a pro wrestler and appears on next week's episode as one of the people I mentioned in question two? A, Barbara Streisand, B, Chris Christopherson, C, Gary Busey, or D, Robert England, who was uncredited in A Star Is Born as Marty, but of course (laughs) went on to portray Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Bob, you thought the answer was C, Gary Busey. We put this question out on Facebook and Twitter to see what uh, all of you listening to this show thought the answer was, and a pretty resoundingly uniform response. Most people were of the opinion that the actor who is most likely to have a pro wrestling child 
is Chris Christofferson, as opposed to Gary Busey. And Bob, it pains me to tell you that they are correct. <sighs> and All that right. it is, in fact, Chris Christofferson and not Gary Busey. Chris Christofferson's son, Jody Christofferson, portrays the character Garrett Dillon in this episode of NXT. Can't believe nobody voted for Barbara Streisand. Nobody voted for Barbara Streisand. We had a few other people who agreed with you that it was Busey, and I think one person, one or two people who said England, fat 0% for Barbara Streisand. Does not give off those vibes, I guess. I don't know. I believe in Babs. She could do it. She could raise a pro wrestling child. She could do anything. It's Barbara Streisand. Yeah, exactly. I maintain that Gary Busey almost certainly does have a child that does pro wrestling. We just don't know about it. I'd be shocked if he didn't. (laughs) That would be the headline. (laughs) Millions shocked to find out that none of Gary Busey's offspring (laughs) are professional wrestlers. I refuse to believe it, says local man. So those were the answers to last week's Cheap Pop Quiz. And now it is time for us to officially kick off this episode, as we always do, with Bob's Breakdown. Match one. Holy frick, it's the Country Bear Jamboree! (laughs) Get out your jugs and washboards, because it's time to jam with the Wyatt family. I got so many Country Bear Jamboree vibes from them. And Luke Harper enters with an expression that says, I am so psyched to be here, but I got to make that look horrifying. So he scrunches up his brow real good. For Uh now, Luke is my favorite Wyatt family member because that was wholesome as heck. I also love when he goes, yeah, 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 (sighs) yeah. Uh, Yeah, I have a lot of fondness for that as well. I don't know why you're saying that, but it is charming. Okay, Travis Tyler and Sawyer Fulton are already in the ring. Their vibe is father-son pastor team leading a church wilderness retreat, but the aesthetic of a roller dancing team from the 70s. (laughs) Harper smacks Sawyer down, then gets his fingers right up in those nostrils. Mm. Harper drapes Sawyer on the middle rope. Okay, Miles, I'm tagging you Uh in. I want to revisit those rope names and we're making a mnemonic device for right now. All right. So once again, we have the top rope. Top rope. The second rope. Jesus. Second rope. Okay. And the bottom rope. Okay. So TSB. TSB. True. The word I'm coming up with is succubus, but that's not a great one. Truly. We could could go from the bottom and go BST also. Bullshit system. (laughs) Truly. Listeners, send in your uh, mnemonics for top, second, and bottom rope. Yeah, this system is not working out, but tentatively... Bullshit system, comma, truly. That's right. (laughs) Hopefully you can save us from ourselves. Harper's got Sawyer on the rope. We're just going to say the rope and does more face poking. The ref is yelling, sir, this is not kindergarten. Do not pick other people's noses. Harper shoves Sawyer up against the turnbuckles. The padded corner things. If you're listening along, take a second and just say turnbuckle to yourself. Go on. You deserve it. Turnbuckle. Turnbuckle. Technically, the turnbuckles are the metal things underneath the turnbuckle pads. But Uh yes, they are the turnbuckles. Oh, okay. I mean, I think it's okay to shorthand like turnbuckle with the entire thing there where the rope's attached to the post. All right, I'll take that. So Harper tags Rowan in and now Miles, I would like to tag you in. How does a tag team match work? I'm so glad you asked, Bob. 
In a traditional tag team match, there's two wrestlers on each team. Only one wrestler is allowed in the ring at a time. Okay. Now, in order to replace your partner in the ring, you have to reach in and touch them, tag them in, while also holding on to the tag rope in your team's assigned corner. Oh, I wondered why they weren't moving around. Yes. Your team has a corner. The opposing team has a corner opposite from you, like diagonal across the ring from you. Okay. And then I'm pretty sure there's always a tag rope in NXT and WWE. In some promotions, you just have to like be touching the top turnbuckle in your corner. But I believe there is a a tag rope in every match you're going to see here. Um, It's just a little like cord. You'll sometimes see them holding onto it that's attached to the turnbuckle. Uh, And that is why you only see tags happening in those corners. Oh, that makes so much sense. I did not notice the tag ropes, but Mm -hmm. now that you say that, I was watching it going, why does he move over there? So when a tag happens, if the wrestler who tagged out doesn't immediately leave the ring, the ref starts a five count. The wrestler who tagged in, however, can enter the ring immediately. So as a result of this, two members of a tag team can legally attack one other member of the other tag team at the same time during the five count period when they're both technically allowed to be in the ring. So they got like five seconds before like the other guy has to get out of the ring when they can both be in the ring at the same time. Okay. And so you see a lot of heel teams using that to their advantage. That Um, explains much. A traditional tag team match ends when one member of the team pins or submits one member of the other team. Other than that, the rules are mostly the same, but there are numerous variations on the tag team match that we will get to when they come up. Okay. Does that help? That does. That helps a lot. All right, so now Rowan is in the ring, and he gets Sawyer over his head and drops him onto the mat three times in a row, by which time Sawyer's back is one giant pink chafe mark. (laughs) Just wear a shirt. (laughs) Uh, Why are you doing this to yourself? Rowan and Harper switch up, and they lay Sawyer across the corner ropes like a sacrificial offering, where the offering is made by repeatedly slapping the sacrifice across the face. <laughs> You're welcome, Zeus. Slaprifice. Oh, slaprifice. That's so good. All right, so Sawyer finally tags Fulton and Pastor Dad is ready to rumble. Punch, punch. Then Fulton is kicked in the face by Harper, <laughs> who then clotheslines him, pins him, and it is all over. I think you might have had your names mixed up a little bit here, Bob. Did I? Okay. One of the jobbers in this match is named Sawyer Fulton. Ah, okay. So Sawyer finally tags Tyler. No, I, I believe Tyler was the first guy and he tags in Sawyer. Oh, dang. All right. It's well, fine. It's fine. They're jobbers. It doesn't matter. There we go. What matters is that Luke Harper uh, lays out Sawyer Fulton with that huge discus clothesline, which is called the discus clothesline, by the way, because he goes through the whole turning around discus motion before he throws it. Oh, it did look very balletic cool. I enjoyed it. Next up is a special message from Stephanie McMahon, who announces the first NXT Women's Champion. I have feelings about calling them divas. I feel like that's a little weird. But Miles, I want to tag you in for a quick history lesson on women's belts. Oh, boy. Okay, so without taking up too much time, for a long time, there was the WWF Women's Championship, which became the WWE Women's Championship. I think in 2008... They brought in this thing called the Divas Championship. WWE has forever loved to refer to their male wrestlers as superstars and their female wrestlers as divas. Mm. Um, You are not alone in being uncomfortable with that. Yeah, that's not great. It's not great. And we are all very, very dismayed 
when um, the women's championship in 2010 was retired, leaving only the Divas championship. That was a dark time for women's wrestling in Mm. WWE. There was some really cool stuff happening outside of WWE during the late aughts and early teens. But it was kind of a wasteland. And one of the reasons I love NXT so much and one of the cool things we're going to see as we go through this podcast is NXT, without spoiling anything, kind of becomes the place where WWE women's wrestling is reborn. And a big part of that, in my opinion, is the fact that they call their championship the NXT Women's Championship. Despite the fact that there was no WWE Women's Championship at the time. All right. That is a very helpful primer on this whole thing. To transition, now we get a women's match. It is Emma, the muffin brain from last episode, comes out dancing, which for anyone who has not seen it, is her throat chopping the air on either side of her. (laughs) Then Southern twangly guitar starts and Audrey Marie struts out, giving off strong alpha female vibes. And Miles, I am here for it. Rao. <laughs> I believe she's from Texas. I'm not. Oh, positive she is. About she's that. from Houston. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is, of course follow up from last week's segment where Emma interrupted her interview and poked her in the head. Yes. So they are supposed to start the match, but instead Emma calls for her music and does more ghost karate, which the crowd loves. Yeah. Audrey Marie is over it and smacks her down and tosses her around. Emma gets Audrey Marie in the stomach, gaining the upper hand. The fight is very different. So there's a lot of slipping around, flipping one another over, interlocking body parts with one another, contorting their bodies to get a better angle. If what you're imagining when I say those words is sexual, it is because the tone of their movement was indeed hella fucky. Miles, (laughs) is that style of fighting the usual for matches between women? My suspicion is that that is, again, a bit of a holdout from what WWE thought women's wrestling was at the time. That said, there is a difference between women's wrestling and men's wrestling. You will often see it looking a little bit differently. And I think one of the things that NXT did, it doesn't seem revelatory when you say it, but they hired a really good female wrestler to be the coach of the women. Oh, that makes total sense. And so, like, when you've got a woman training these ladies to, like, actually work with female bodies as opposed to a dude doing it, Mm. it really helps them be more realistic and fluid in the ring. So, I'll go back and watch this, and I'm going to look for a little bit more of the hella fuckiness that you mentioned. So, the match ends with Audrey Marie's legs locked behind her and Emma bending over backwards in a bridge over Audrey Marie to grab her neck. Yeah. Audrey Marie taps out and Emma wins, presumably because the non-Euclidean sexual tension was too much to bear. I <laughs> I don't know where you go from an interlocked reverse Ouroboros of flesh. That... <laughs> It was a very uncanny and uh, unsettling maybe thing to see. It had the tone of being sexy, but none of the sexiness with which to make sense of it. Did it look like it hurt to you? 
No, because they were very, they demonstrated in the match that they were very flexible. So it looked deeply uncomfortable, but uh-huh. not necessarily painful. It looked like a thing that they were well capable of doing, but very different. It's worth looking at it. It's definitely one of my favorite submission holds, especially because it's just really impressive that Emma can do that. Oh, it looked very cool that she was capable of doing it. It just was also a little bit inhuman, I guess. (laughs) A little bit like, is Emma possibly some sort of spider? I mean, she is Australian, so. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So backstage, Renee Young is with two rednecks, Dylan and Dawson, one of whom Uh is drinking barbecue sauce straight from the bottle. The other Uh is flossing. Uh Truly a study in contrasts. (laughs) From stage right comes a loud snobby Frenchman named Sylvester Lafour. He is money grubbing and greasy. And I know what you're imagining, listener, is what you think greasy is. I assure you, you are imagining an insufficient quantity of grease. (laughs) Also, he is wearing a velvet tiger print coat. It is (laughs) exceptional. He then herds the rednecks to the ring, leaving Renee Young going, what the fuck? D&D are in a tag team match with Jake Carter and Brandon Traven, who did not get an entrance or any attention. So I'm assuming that this is also maybe a job or squash match. Miles, is that what is going on? Yeah, the first one definitely was the one with the Wyatt family. This one, I would also call it a job or squash match, even though it lasts four minutes, which is a little bit longer than your typical job or squash match. Oh, Jake Carter, incidentally, uh, the son of uh, wrestling legend Vader. I saw that somewhere whenever I was trying to figure out who these guys were. So that was the only thing I had. But I was going Vader. I assume not Darth Vader, but just a Vader, a Vader. (laughs) a member of the Vader family. So Dylan and Dawson take turns beating on Jake, who is selling the pain pretty well. A lot of being slammed against the mat and then having his face grabbed. One of the D's, I cannot tell them apart, gets Jake <laughs> into a nasty looking hold with the victim's head twisted and his arm above his head. The ref gets down and is talking this guy through it like, are you sure, baby? You don't have to go through with this. Whatever you choose. It is your body and I respect your choices. <laughs> So Jake escapes and tags Brandon, who gets in maybe a single hit before he Uh is laid out. And then from behind the camera, you see an underoo clad ass flying into the shot (laughs) and slams down on Brandon and then pinned to end the match. That moment was some very fine camera work. Very pleased. What happens there is that Scott Dawson hits Brandon with a spine buster is what that move is called. Okay. You basically like pick them up and both your arms are like wrapped around their thighs and you just slam them like spine first on the ground. (laughs) And then yeah, Dylan comes out of nowhere with this. I guess it's like a sitting double axe handle is what you might call that in wrestling terms. Okay. Basically, all he really does is he like jumps off the top rope and he has his hands together and like they come down on Brandon's face. But he sits out with his legs like in a sitting position as he's doing it. So it made me wince for the ass that had to land on that mat more Mm -hmm. than it did for Brandon being smashed with that. But right. Bold buns on Dylan. Of course, Garrett Dylan, the guy doing the weird redneck scream as well. So beautiful. All right. Match three. Derek Bateman enters throwing smoldering looks. And then Biggie Langston enters 
that man is a rock solid chunk of muscle. Yes, he is. He is. The master of the five count, Miles. What does that mean again? It's just for him. Oh. So, you know the thing he does at the end of this match after he beats Derek Bateman? Yes. He hits him with his finisher again and then pins him again and slaps the mat five times. Okay, yes. So, that's his thing. He wants to prove that he can put you down for the five count. Oh. And so that's when when he comes out, the crowd is going five, 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 five. That explains much. Langston is wearing a singlet and it's a bit of a throwback look. I really dig it. Bateman starts the match driving Langston in the corner, wails on him a bit, climbs the rope to get a better angle, which is when Langston just grabs Bateman's thighs, <laughs> walks away from the rope, flings Bateman up into the air and steps back to watch him fall with a look of, yes, I can toss a dude like a salad. Yeah, Langston is uh, is a crazy human being. <laughs> I was very blown away. And then Langston flips his singlet straps off. The full power of his pecs has been released. Pulls Bateman up, smacks him back down, flips him over, pinned. Then, as you said, the crowd chants, five, five, five. So he repeats the beating, slams the mat five times. The crowd counts along with him. Yeah, and that was his finishing move, the big ending. Oh, that's called the beginning. Okay. That's a reasonable name for that. Yeah. The last match is a battle royal. It was something. So a bunch of dudes in the match. Corey Graves sulks his way to the ring. Bear Wyatt <laughs> appears, which I feel like Bear Wyatt is a pretty good name for him. Still rocking the mask, wearing a uh -huh. fine leather apron. It was a quality leather apron. I was kind of surprised that they had something that was that nice of leather. I love the leather apron that he has in it's these days. Very, it's like I makes him feel like a it. butcher. Yeah. yeah. And then Bo Dallas, a boy with more oil on him than any person should have. The rules are you're out if you're flipped over the top rope. Last person in the ring is the winner of this match. Miles, is that always the rule for these? Uh, yes, your feet must touch the floor. Both of your feet have to touch the floor and you have to go over the top rope, not over the second rope, not over the bottom rope, over the top rope with both feet touching the floor. It's very important. Okay. The bell goes and it is just a sea of humanity at war with itself. Langston is watching it and commenting laconically that he is scared of 0% of these dudes. That's correct. Mason Ryan peels a guy off himself and tosses him out. A guy runs at Ryan. He flicks him over the top rope. Mason Ryan is a beast. Mm -hmm. I want to climb him like Mount Snowden. <laughs> And then ride him into battle against my enemies. <laughs> so several more dudes chucked out over the rope. This is the greatest episode of Looney Tunes I have ever seen. My beautiful steed throws two more dudes and then grabs baby golden retriever Sami Zayn by the neck. Holds him above his head, throwing him onto a group of dudes outside the ring. Mm -hmm. Peak physical comedy. Ryan grabs another dude, goes to flip him out of the ring. But dude lands on the apron and pulls Ryan over the top rope, eliminating him. Yeah. No, not my little Welsh pony. <laughs> All of Equestria shall hear of your crimes, Neville, whatever your name is. <laughs> His name is Adrian Neville, yes. <laughs> oh. So six dudes are left. Most are malingering at the edges of the ring. Ono and Graves team up to throw O'Brien out of the ring, then from behind, like a sneaky grizzly, Wyatt flips both of them over the top rope. The comedy timing was so good. I almost heard the trombone going, 
Oh, so beautiful. Wyatt beats on Neville and Dallas, but Neville smacks Wyatt, who collapses on the ropes, and then Neville has to really put the effort in to get Wyatt over the top rope. Bears are heavy, folks. It is just Neville and Dallas, two oily boys and former tag team champions. They scrap a bit, then they play The Floor is Lava by clinging to the ropes and trying to get each other out. Neville does an impressive gymnastics floor routine, then gets up on the top rope to smash Dallas, but Dallas catches Neville in the tum-tum and tosses him over the top. Yeah, and in the process becomes the number one contender to the NXT Championship, which is what this match was for. And Miles, I actually watched a fight between 18 grown human beings. I texted you about this and you said that 18 is actually not that big a number for something like this. Can you shed a little more light on what the deal is with Battle Royals? Yeah, so uh, there was a a recent event that the wrestling community doesn't talk about because it took place in Saudi Arabia and we're all very upset about that. Yes. Uh, But there was a 50-man Battle Royal in, uh, in that event. So it does go crazy here. A Battle Royal is... Kind of a way to get everybody on TV. A current trend at WrestleMania these days is if you don't have a match at WrestleMania, you get into the WrestleMania Battle Royal, which usually includes, I think, 20 or 30 guys. It's kind of a way to get everybody a paycheck. Oh, that's um, nice. Good for them. And there's almost always a prize for winning. So like a trophy or in this case, you get a championship match. Um, they don't get paid more if they win, right? Because that's it's predetermined. So that wouldn't be fair, correct? Yeah, just by like winning a match. No, sometimes like champions get paid more. You rise up the pay scale in wrestling by making money for the company, essentially. Ah, so like if you're a, okay. if you become a big star, then you generally get paid more because the, the company doesn't want you going to another promotion. That makes sense. A couple of fun facts about this match. Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas brothers in real life. Oh, whoa. Yeah. My mind is exploded. We will put up pictures of both of them for you to compare because I did not look at them and go naturally familia. Yeah, no, they do not look alike at all. But they are brothers. They are actually uh, the sons of uh, Mike Rotunda, who was a, a famous wrestler back in the day. And then also just wanted to draw your attention, Bob, to the thing that happened at the end. Neville went for um, his finishing move, which because he's a high flyer flippy guy involves jumping off the top rope. And what you noticed when Dallas got him in the tum tum, as you put it, was that Dallas got his knees up. Yes. And that is a a very common counter to high flying top rope moves is getting your knees up. Happens a lot. It's one of the major pieces of grammar in a wrestling match. Good to know. Oh, I also wanted to throw in one other note as well, um, because you mentioned because you were listening to the commentary. You mentioned that Adrian Neville and Bo Dallas were uh, former tag team champions. Yes. Not technically. Oh, really? Um, So what happened was Adrian Neville was one half of the first ever NXT tag team champions. His partner was a dude named Oliver Gray. They were referred to, I believe, as the British Invasion. Something like that. Because they're both British. But Oliver Gray, uh, unfortunately, had some serious injuries and wasn't able to compete anymore. While he was a champion. So they were defending the titles against the Wyatt family and Bo Dallas stepped in to be Neville's partner because Gray couldn't wrestle. Ah, So Bo Dallas technically never a champion. Well, get on that, commentators. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it's our own fault for not watching the entire show from the beginning, but still. (laughs) No, I refuse to accept that. So I want to get your take on the episode as a whole, Bob, and ask you how you felt about it. But first, we got to ring the bell for a couple of people here. (laughs) Oh, all right. I think I'm ready. Unfortunately, we are first ringing the bell for Audrey Marie. Aww. Uh, 
she was cut from NXT uh, after this taping. She ended up wrestling one more match uh, about a year later at an all-female wrestling show called Queens of Combat. Okay. But that was her last match, and she is now retired. Aww. Uh, we are also ringing the bell for Derek Bateman. Okay, I kind of wondered. He's a dude who was in one of the game show NXT seasons. Okay. And he had been around for a while, but wasn't really working out. They ended up cutting him. He almost immediately went over to another wrestling company called Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, or TNA, portraying a new character called Ethan Carter III, <laughs> uh, which he blew up as this character. Ooh. Like, he got super fucking popular for many years. And uh, if we make it a little bit farther, we might see him again later. Okay, I'm curious to see how that changes um, because Derek Bateman as a character is sort of bland. Mm-hmm. There's a real plain yogurt flavor to him. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, there were three of uh, Mason Ryan's victims in the Battle Royal that you probably didn't see very much of, but uh, it was also all three of their last matches in NXT. <laughs> Knuckles Madsen uh, <laughs> was cut after this event and uh, pretty much retired right after. Briley Pierce. That's such a name. <laughs> he was actually the brother of a notable WWE wrestler named Dolph Ziggler. Oh, God. Briley Pierce is Dolph Ziggler's brother. He spent uh, several years as an independent wrestler after this. And then um, Sakamoto, uh, who uh, returned to Japan in 2017, joined a company called Pro Wrestling Noah, and uh, is the only one of the three who is still currently active. He is still wrestling in uh, Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan. Okay. So, ring the bell for these five wrestlers who will not be gracing our screens again, or at least not for a very long time. Farewell. We wish you the best. So, uh, with that in mind, tell me how you felt about this episode. At first, I did not enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the previous match. Mm-hmm. And then upon rewatch, I got more into it. But I will tell you that when that battle royal happened, I was screaming at the TV. <laughs> and I was what? going, yeah, just because Mason Ryan was doing Mason Ryan things. <laughs> and I know he's very strong. Very clearly he is. But to just see him do strong stuff. And revel in it and make crazy faces going, I am made of nothing but power was exceptional. I was very delighted. And then getting to see Sami Zayn get picked up like that was uh, something else. And his little face when that happens, (laughs) he was sort of shaking his head going, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm just a sweet puppy. And Mason Ryan's like, doesn't matter, son. This is happening. (laughs) I didn't want anything bad to happen to Sami Zayn, but the way Sami Zayn sold it and the way Mason Ryan sold it was so perfect that I was over the moon. All right. Let us get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, in this episode, episode 171, what did your elf eyes see? I am curious to see if you notice this. Sawyer Fulton's underoos have a pastoral mountain scene on the butt. <laughs> I did not notice that. It is snowy mountains and clouds. It is such a gentle image, and I was not at all sure what message I was supposed to get from it. I just hadn't seen anything like it, and usually it's... <laughs> It's a logo or it's a national flag or something like that. It's their name. This Uh was the first where I was like, no, we're going to do a landscape on the ass. (laughs) I'm looking that up. (laughs) 
I tried. I tried to look it up. You cannot get images of it. You have to go watch oh, it. And I, oh my gosh, if I can get a still of it and post it, I will because I want people to see this. I've just never seen. Granted, this is my second episode. Maybe right. there's a whole thing where people oh. are like, yeah, landscapes right on the butt. You are just dipping your toe into the turbulent waters of what wrestlers have written on their butts, Bob. Butt watch may be a segment on this show. Oh my God, butt watch might be a segment. Okay, I think we might have to do that. Well, in this particular installment of butt watch, this is what <laughs> I found. A landscape portrait. Miles, I am curious, revisiting this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Oh, I get to do these two now? Sweet. You do. You know, interestingly, my elf eyes also noticed a costuming decision that was oh, made. Yes. So Audrey Marie, when she came out, her top, it was a regular like wrestling top, right? I thought but, so. But it had like this weird like lace triangle yes. like, over her boobs. Mm. And I, it was absolutely inexplicable to me. I noticed the lace as well. And as a person who has worn lace, lace is terribly itchy and uncomfortable. And there is nothing to enjoy about it other than the fact that it looks like lace. It would be fine if like other elements of her costume were lacy in any way. But it was like a typical wrestling costume with like this weird lace triangle. My only explanation for it is that it was, you know, again, we're in this era where like in WWE, it was expected that you would be sexy before it was expected that you would be a good wrestler. Yeah, so, there was um, some Victoria's Secret element to that. Yeah, that whole definitely. Thing. And I was kind of surprised that that was the direction the costuming went. But I wondered if it was a throwback thing or just a we're not out of this era yet. So I'm glad to know that that's kind of a holdout. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears heard the commentators yet again. I don't uh -huh. remember who said it, but the quote was, the Wyatt family, impressive to say the least. I'll tell you, that'd be scary to see at the Golden Corral. <laughs> that is a hell of a specific point of reference. This statement to me implied either that the Golden Corral is notoriously rowdy and this fight would be out of place even for the brutal fight club that is Golden Corral. <laughs> or the Golden Corral is a place of peace and harmony where a fight like this would forever scar the pacifists grazing there. These are the <laughs> two possibilities of what this means to me. Let it be on your head, listeners, to decide which one of those is true. Yes. What kind of Golden Corral world is it that we live in? It was interesting commentary this week because instead of William Regal this time, we had Brad Maddox taking over on commentary. Uh, yeah, I missed William Regal. Yeah, I missed him too. Maddox, I barely remember him, honestly, because his career like in my mind was so short. But he was like a would-be wrestler that ended up as a commentator for NXT. And then he went up to the main roster and he played like an authority figure up there. Oh. And then he came back and did some stuff. Kind of bounced around. I honestly didn't hate him. Like, he was fine. Yeah, he was I, fine. I, I really enjoyed his interactions with Big E. Yes. <laughs> they had had some encounters on the main roster by this time, actually. It was very fun hearing him go like, yeah, yes, Big E, you also had a very competitive series of matches with me. And Big E's like, I don't remember that That was all. very fun. Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? 
I'm just going to bring this up because I want to shout it out. My Vulcaneers heard uh, the Wyatt Family theme song, which is still one of my favorites in all of wrestling. It's very good. I love that music. At some point, Bob, when we get down the road, we'll show you the time that Bray Wyatt was at WrestleMania and actually got the band to perform it live for his entrance. It's good shit. What song is that? Whose is it? It's by a guy named Mark Crozer, I think. It's called Broken Out in Love. These days, a lot of NXT music is produced by a single band. Oh, wow. um, That they kind of do everything. But occasionally you'll get these like individual um, artists who produce wrestling music. And man, I just that song is so good. All right, Bob. So now I have to ask you, what did your human heart feel? I was genuinely upset when Mason Ryan went over the top rope. Truly, (laughs) truly upset. I was angry that he didn't get back in the ring, even though he'd been disqualified. It's like, you do not quit. You get back in there and you tell them that they are wrong and bad. (laughs) I just love my little pony so much. I just wanted to be happy and to get everything he deserves for being a good horse boy. I did not expect you to form such an attachment to Mason Ryan. It's just so, it's just a big chunk of, like, pony. Mason Ryan and before that, Kurt Hawkins. This is not what I expected when asking what your heart was feeling, Bob, but I like being surprised. I definitely did not expect Mason Ryan to be high on my list of people that I have feelings about, but boy, do I. (laughs) So, Miles, what does your human heart feel? When I rewatched this Battle Royal, I was really impressed with the storytelling. A lot of battle royals, they'll just like dick around and somebody will throw somebody else out for a long time. There's no real story to it. And if there is like it doesn't happen until you get to the end with like the last few guys. But with this match, I was actually really impressed because they told the story the entire time. The story was Mason Ryan eliminated 11 people. Mm. Everybody in the match that was eliminated was eliminated by him. He was running through everyone. And then Neville with like a really athletic kind of sneaky move gets him out of the ring. And then we move on to these other stories. We move on to Bray Wyatt eliminating Graves and Ono, both of whom he had been having problems with recently. We get the stuff between Neville and Dallas, who had been, you know, on the same side recently. So I just really enjoyed the way this Battle Royal told multiple stories at a time, which all Battle Royals should do, but they rarely do. I noticed that whenever it started, Bray Wyatt immediately went for Cassius Ono, who Mm -hmm. he'd had problems with in that last match that I saw him in and was going, oh, good for them. They're having some continuity and therefore was immediate have possibly been immediately spoiled by this particular battle royal because I went, oh, what clever, cohesive storytelling they're engaging in. Yeah. Of all the things I didn't expect to see going back and watching old NXT is like, wow, this is like the best possible version of a battle royal. I'll keep my expectations a little lower in the future just because this one may have been a a rare and shiny example. All right. Well, with that, it is nearly time for this episode's wrestling term of the week. Before that, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was a jobber squash. And I'm very excited about this because I know Bob had uh, a lot of thought that she put into this. Miles, this will feature a character who you have feelings about. Okay. 30 seconds into the fight. Dr. Doom had used up all his Doom bots. Oh my god, no, Doom! Tried to turn the crowd against her, thrown punch after punch, but it didn't matter. Squirrel Girl truly was unbeatable. Management had hired him to take this beating, but he was above that. He deserved better. He was no feeble opponent to be carted out just to be defeated. 
This jobber squash match will not stand, Squirrel Girl. So says Doom. <laughs> the crowd booed. Squirrel Girl gave him a sympathetic look and gently kicked his feet out from under him, tangling him in his cape and pinning his shoulders down. He struggled, but it was no use. The bell sounded. Squirrel Girl leaned in and whispered, I don't care what management says. You'll never be just a jobber squash to me. You tried your best, and that's what matters. Doom sneered behind his mask. He would show them. He would show them all the might of Doom. Doom! Thank you to David Waters for this idea for characters. That would be great in pro wrestling. If you have ideas for characters that I should use, you can tweet them at us at NXT Wrestling Fan. We pronounce it Next Wrestling Fan. Or email them to us at NXTWrestlingFan at gmail.com. Yeah, so thank you so much to listener David Waters for sending in those two. Although I have to say, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> when I, your boy I, gets smashed. Look, I am aware that he lost a squirrel girl. I am aware. Does not need to be rubbed in my face constantly with Doom as the jobber and Squirrel Girl as the person squashing the jobber, but that's fine. Also, anybody who doesn't listen to Smash Fiction is very confused. I'm sure they are. I, You know, it's a great show. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy listening to it. Go listen to Smash Fiction. <laughs> Go listen to Smash Fiction. Now it's time for this episode's Wrestling Term of the Week. The Wrestling Term of the Week is championship all right now we talked about this a little bit on episode zero which is our pro wrestling primer episode that you really uh, should have already listened to uh, if you haven't listened to it highly recommended but i want to go over championships a little bit more in depth because both this episode and the next episode are really heavily focused on championships in this workplace drama having a championship means you are really good at your job okay that's a thing people want Everybody wants it. Being a champion in the storyline, although also sometimes in real life, but we're focusing on the story here. Being a champion gets you more money, gets you more fame, and in the world of NXT specifically, provides a pathway to future success on the main roster. Everybody in wrestling wants to be the champion, and there's numerous championships in every wrestling promotion. All wrestling promotions have championships. Remember, in the world of this TV show, wrestling is a sport. And there are no sports without champions. They don't exist. That's true. To be a champion is to have, more than anything else, prestige. Mm. Now, championships in wrestling take the form of belts, which you've seen. Yes. Uh, and they're often called belts as well as titles. The champions generally carry the belts with them anytime they're on screen. That explains a lot. Yeah. Uh, however, not every match involving a champion is a championship match. Hmm. So, like... If Derek Bateman had somehow defeated Biggie Langston on this episode, Bateman would not have been champion. He would have had like a strong case to get a championship match because he just beat the champion, but okay. he would not have been the champion. A match with the champion where the title can change hands is called a championship match, and it is generally something one earns by becoming the number one contender, usually by winning some kind of match like Bo Dallas did. Okay. Championships are also frequently decided by tournaments, especially when it's a brand new championship. So this is what we're seeing now with the new NXT Women's Championship. They don't have a champion yet, so that's not like anybody can defend it, but they're going to have a tournament to crown the first ever NXT Women's Champion, which they did the same thing for the NXT Championship and the NXT Tag Team Championship. Okay. Those are currently the only three titles in NXT. 
Now, next week, Bob, you are going to see a tag team championship match. Oh, all right. Championship matches operate under slightly different rules than regular matches. The difference lies in a concept called the champion's advantage. Oh, what? If the match ends in countout, disqualification, time limit draw, or no contest, the champion keeps the title. Jeez. Even if they're the ones who are disqualified uh, or counted out, and even if the other wrestler technically won the match. Oh my gosh. The championship cannot change hands except by pinfall or submission. That is intense. I can see the allure of that. It gives a lot of tension to it, but boy. Yeah, and, and heel champions will often take advantage of this by like getting themselves counted out or disqualified on purpose <gasps> if they don't think they can beat their challenger. Oh, that's rude. Yeah, it's very rude. You will see exceptions to all this, so like sometimes the heel champion will be like, I'm going to get myself disqualified so I don't have to fight the guy, and then the authority figure will be like, all right, well, you know what? You're going to fight him again, and this time, if you're disqualified, you will lose the championship. Oh, Okay. So, like, that advantage can be suspended, but for the most part, it's always in place. All right. And because of this, referees are usually even more reluctant to end championship matches by disqualification, countout, whatever, than they are most of the time. Okay. So that was your wrestling term of the week. And uh, next week, Bob is going to come up with a short fanfic involving championships. I am. With that out of the way, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. <laughs> and by everybody, I mean me. It's time for the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right. And again, the Cheap Pop Quiz will uh, help you, Bob, and you, listener, prepare a little bit for what's coming next week. And also, it's how I earn points, which I'm going to redeem for something, I think. That's right. I've got a lot of plans for Miles based on these points, but first I got to get some. Question number one. When you become the number one contender to a title, as Bo Dallas just did, what is a traditional thing that sometimes happens, but not always, in the weeks before your championship match? Is it A, you and your opponent go out to the ring wearing actual clothes, not wrestling clothes, and sign a contract that says you agree to fight each other for the championship? Is it B, you and your opponent meet up backstage, stand on some scales to determine your respective weight, and make mean faces at each other with your fists raised? Is it C, you and your opponent are forced to compete together as a tag team before you can fight each other. And if you don't play nice and get along, the championship match is canceled. Or is it D? Your opponent is required to let you hold the championship belt, try it on, pose with it a little bit in front of the camera, you know, just so you can see how it feels to be champion. I think it's A. God, okay. I hope it's A. I want points. Okay, so A, you and your opponent go out to the ring wearing actual clothes, not wrestling clothes, and sign a contract that says you agree to fight each other for the title. That makes sense to me. Okay. I can see that happening. Question two, Bob. Who is Jim Ross, a.k.a. <laughs> good old JR? Okay. Is he A, another low-level wrestler from the main roster who shows up on NXT to get his ass kicked, a la Kurt Hawkins? B, a celebrity guest who was in the news in the summer of 2013 because his personalized brand of barbecue sauce put 15 people in the hospital with food poisoning. <laughs> is he C, a legendary announcer whose voice is synonymous with the WWE product for many wrestling fans and who recently began working for the new upstart AEW promotion? Or is he D, 
a legendary wrestler from the 1980s who briefly became a household name when he picked up and body slammed Andre the Giant. Oh, wow. I do remember the mention of barbecue sauce. So I'm going with the barbecue sauce thing. That doesn't make sense to me, but (laughs) I'm using context clues and I'm really hoping they're going to pay off. So (laughs) barbecue sauce, 15 people in the hospital. All right. Barbecue sauce, 15 people in the hospital. And question number three, Bob. Next week, you will meet a wrestler named Paige. Okay. What is her character? A. A bright, smiling girl-next-door brunette who skips to the ring happily. B. A massive, muscular Samoan woman who manhandles her opponents. C. A blonde exhibitionist who tries to take off her clothes before every match. (laughs) Or D. A gothy, black-haired British badass who screams a lot. Okay. What was C again? C was a blonde exhibitionist who tries to take off her clothes before every match. Based on the context clues (laughs) of what women's wrestling was like before it became treated more like men's wrestling, Uh I am going to go with C and say an exhibitionist. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for this episode, Bob. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you to everybody out there listening to this and everybody who's been giving us uh, your support as we launch this brand new stage in our podcasting career. Part of that support involves following us on social media and uh, sending us emails at uh, nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. And one person has already done that. It's Chris Newton. Of course it's Chris Newton of the oh, Gameable Podcast and Mega Dumpcast. He's a peach. He's delightful. We should have him on sometime. We should. All right, I'm going to read Chris's email read out. Read that email. Episode one, foreshadowing in the ring which to me is the chapter title for a Tolkien, one of the Tolkien books. (laughs) All right. Hey, I'm enjoying the podcast so far. A true ground floor introduction to pro wrestling has been much needed, and you two are the perfect host for the job. Aw, thanks. Thanks, Chris. I watched along for episode one, and I noticed some foreshadowing in the Zayn-Cesaro match that I think Bob probably missed. When Cesaro picks up Zayn for the last time right before the roll-up that ends the match, Zayn gets into a weird position on Cesaro's body. I imagine that for Megan Bob, it blended into the farrago of weird body positions on offer in a wrestling match. Yes, it did. In fact, Zayn was going for a small package. Another move. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I did have a giggle about that. Another move, similar to the inside cradle, that attempts to catch an opponent out and pin them without knocking them silly. In light of the fact that Zayn tries the small package... And gets blocked right before he wins with the inside cradle. It's interesting that he tries two other low-impact pinning moves. An O'Connor roll and a sunset flip earlier in the match. If you know these moves well enough to notice them when they're blocked, they bolster the narrative that Zayn wins through persistence, not just a single lucky break, and they foreshadow the finish. Just wanted to offer Bob some evidence that paying attention to the matches themselves will eventually pay off, even if they seem like a blur of flesh and spandex right now. Promos and entrances are more accessible, but excellent wrestlers like Zayn tell significant parts of their stories through the details of in-ring action. Thanks so much for that, Chris. That was very insightful. And incidentally, uh, a blur of flesh and spandex was the original name of this podcast before we decided to change it. (laughs) 
I did notice that he was did a weird move on Cesaro's body at one point, but I just thought, oh, that's just some fun, sexy you know, romping. You know, even after explaining all the, the language and grammar, which we haven't even started to do yet, even after all that, like any medium, it just takes watching a while before you actually start noticing things like that and pay attention to what it means when you go for sort of those low-impact pinning moves as opposed to high-impact, like, forceful moves, you know what I mean? Also, just want to say, I personally hate it when I'm blocked going for a small package, but, you know, that's, oh, that's just man. me. And I feel like Sunset Flip, I don't know who that character is going to be, but I got a <laughs> lot of feelings about her. <laughs> Sunset Flip? <laughs> yeah! I don't know what she does for a living, or like what her her ambitions are, but she sounds great and I want to know more about her. Send us your fix, guys. Send us your fix. Uh, Please. Also quickly wanted to read, Bob, our very first Apple Podcast review. Ah! And this one comes from Ryan Reisman. <gasps> Ryan, you're wonderful. Ryan, thank you so much for leaving us the first review on the show. The review is titled, Great Name, Great Concept, Great Hosts. Aww. And Ryan says, as a lapsed former superfan of all things wrestling who no longer watches but still keeps up peripherally through YouTube and podcasts, this is the perfect idea for a podcast. Bob offers such a unique perspective on this wacky world and routinely has me laughing out loud at work. And Miles Aww. is always such a bottomless well of knowledge and insight on everything that he's passionate about. Thank you, Ryan. Give this Thank a listen. You. This is going to be special. Aw, yay! The cockles of my heart are so toasty warm. Seriously, Ryan, thank you so much for that review. Thank you for everyone who's been following us on this journey as it continues. Quick thing I just wanted to say, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but so a thing just happened <laughs> as this episode is released. <laughs> you might have seen me ranting about it on my personal Twitter. You might have seen me ranting about it on the NXT Wrestling Fan Twitter <laughs> at NXT Wrestling Fan. So it was just announced this week that NXT is going to be leaving its home on the WWE Network. Well, it'll still be available on the WWE Network, but it is going to be transitioning from a one hour long taped show to a two hour long live show airing on Wednesday nights, presumably as counter programming to AEW's upcoming TNT show. Um, it was a hell of a run. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I, I just honestly, um, I have many bittersweet feelings about this because I feel like it's going to be on USA. It's going to have more involvement from Vince McMahon, whereas previously it has had none. I am not exactly optimistic in terms of what the future holds in store for my beloved wrestling program, but I am willing to give it a chance. There have been a few reports that maybe Vince won't be as hands-on, that maybe he's going to let Triple H keep running things. I don't know. It is possible that NXT will continue to be a beautiful, wonderful show. I just don't know. And I'm willing to go along for the ride, but I have lots of trepidation about what's happening right now. Fortunately, we have just begun, and we are just beginning our trek in 2013. We have six Full years of amazing NXT shows to cover. So even if NXT does go down the tubes, it will not affect my passion or love for the show that we produce because I love everything, every single thing that we're going to be covering for the next forever. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Bob, I don't know if you have any thoughts. 
I guess my thought is maybe Vince McMahon will walk into the ocean never to be heard from again. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Um, we will see you in two weeks with the next episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. For episode three, trying to get the middle distance to blink first.